Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brand Your Practice podcast, where you get to learn about branding, marketing, and scaling your private practice. I'm Brent Stutzman, and today we're going to be talking about privacy policies for your website. Uh, And to help me do that is Donata Stroink Skillrood, president of Termageddon. Welcome to the show, Donata. Hi, Brent. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and so we're going to be talking about why mental health professionals need a privacy policy if they are receiving new clients from their website. And I know that the majority of my clients, this is the way that they're doing it these days. But first, before we get into that conversation, I want to introduce Donata. She is an attorney licensed in Illinois and a certified information privacy professional. She is the president and legal engineer of Termageddon, a software as a service that has generated thousands of privacy policies and kept them up to date with changing legislation. Donata is also the chair of the American Bar Association's e-privacy committee and vice chair of the Chicago Bar Association's privacy and cybersecurity committee. Donata has taught classes to other attorneys to the general data on the general data protection regulation at the Illinois State Bar Association and her privacy compliance guides have been used by large companies such as Nike, Halliburton and Hilton Hotels. On her free time, Donata enjoys beekeeping, which is amazing, and taking care of her chickens and reading about submarines. Well, welcome to the show, Donata. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. My grandfather kept honeybees, um, and I was never stung, but I, I would watch him all the time when he suits up. And then sometimes he wouldn't suit up. He would just put on like the face yeah. shield, and then he'd just be like the manliest man going out there, smoking <laughs> bees, getting the honey. It was really cool. <laughs> that's that's what I aspire to be, you know, like other people's grandfathers, really. That's my goal. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, well, there's not, I mean, I feel like maybe beekeeping might have skipped a generation or something. So it's, I know of some friends who've started to bring it back. So um, yeah. Maybe that's another podcast. Talk about beekeeping. You know, my grandparents kept bees. And when I was little, I had like a baby beekeeper suit. Um, but my parents were not interested in that. So in our family, definitely skipped a generation too, because it's my grandparents and me, but my parents had nothing, didn't want anything what to do with it, which is understandable because it's like thousands of stinging insects, you know, potentially trying to get you at any minute. <laughs> All right. So I do have one beekeeper. So, you know, we're both in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has been for like, it hit 39 degrees yesterday and it felt like summer. Like I can walk out without a coat on. But so what do you do in the wintertime with the bees? So they basically, they don't hibernate. So people think that they're asleep, but they're not. Um, And basically what they do is they form this cluster towards the middle and they flap their wings really quickly to generate heat and keep them hot inside of that cluster within the hive itself. So theoretically, that's how they survive the winter. Uh, But any beekeeper knows that it's it's kind of a struggle for sure. In the Mm -hmm. Chicago area, especially more up north where it gets really cold, it can be difficult. 
Uh, do you have them inside someplace? By any, like, or do Absolutely they not. Out? Because that, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to mess with that because as soon as it gets warm, they come out. Next thing you know, I've got a garage full of bees. Uh, so they stay outside, <laughs> but you put a particle board um, around the hive, maybe wrap them in a couple of trash bags to keep them warm. Um, so it's definitely a, a big process. Some people keep them in sheds, but I'm a little bit nervous about that in Chicago because the weather here changes so quickly. Like one day it's winter, the next day it's summer. So like, mm -hmm. what do you do when they're all waking up and flying around that shed you really don't want to go in there and carry them back to their spot outside so i leave them outside because i like to play it safe but other people do different things okay cool well if you're still listening to this podcast <laughs> let's go ahead and, <laughs> and let's jump into why therapists need a privacy policy if they're receiving new client requests from the website so go ahead take it away yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's very important to talk about this, right? Because some of the listeners here that have been in practice for, you know, 10, 15 years um, might remember a time where privacy didn't really matter, right? So consumers put their information on every website available in exchange for services or goods or discounts. And nobody really cared about it, right? Like maybe if you were really on top of your game, maybe you had a privacy policy that you downloaded online for free, put that on your website and never looked at it again. And yeah, guilty. Yep. Yeah, right. And <laughs> in the last couple of years, that has really changed. Um, so if you guys remember the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal, where Cambridge Analytica took the personal information of millions of Facebook users and use that to target political ads. Um, that's what really changed the landscape for privacy, right? So when that happened, when that came out, um, consumers were understandably concerned, right? They're like, I had no idea that when I put my information on a website, it can be taken by anyone and used in these ways. Like this is a real problem. So what we saw is more and more consumers in the US pushing for privacy laws, right? Because they wanted to have privacy rights. They wanted to understand what websites are doing with their information, things like that. And that's what changed, right? So in the US, we don't have a federal privacy law that applies to regular business websites collecting information. Obviously, we have financial and, and health privacy laws. Uh, but other than that, there's nothing out there. So we've seen more and more states take it upon themselves to propose and pass privacy laws. Um, and these privacy laws require certain websites to have a privacy policy. Um, so that's kind of the difference between 10 to 15 years ago um, to now is that consumers care about their privacy more and more, and there's more privacy laws being proposed and passed that require websites to have a privacy policy. Hmm. Yeah. So when I talk to your, uh, when you're talking to your husband, someone introduced me to uh, Hans and uh, man, he, he was talking about just how a lot of this opens you yourself up to uh, risk. And, um, and if I know anything about my clients and mental health professionals is that they are risk adverse because they are already in a risky business. Uh, and they have, you know, if you become a client of a therapist, they have informed consent. I mean, there are so many forms that they have to fill mm -hmm. out. But what I hear you saying is like, really <laughs> like that almost those initial consent really starts as soon as they land on your website. Yeah. So you know, we're talking here about getting leads from your website, right? So getting leads, meaning somebody goes to your website and submits a contact form saying, hey, I'm interested in your services, or do you offer this type of service? Or do you offer that type of service? What does your availability look like? 
And even you have existing clients who submit a contact form on your website potentially as well saying, hey, I need to reschedule my appointment. And when you look at your contact form on your website, you'll see that it collects names, emails, and often phone numbers, right? So all of that information is what we consider personal information because it can identify somebody. And what people need to realize about that information now is that it's regulated. So that information that you're collecting on that form, names, emails, phone numbers, it's regulated by a variety of different privacy laws now. And I also wanted to note too, so some people don't have a contact form, but they have a newsletter sign-up form, right? N collecting names and emails. That also applies here. Or even if you don't have any contact forms on your website at all, you could potentially have Google Analytics installed on your website. So Google Analytics will tell you like how many people visited your website and where they came from. Mm -hmm. And Google Analytics actually collects IP address. And IP address is also an example of personal information that's regulated now. So even if you don't have any forms, wow. if you have Google Analytics, you're still collecting personal information. <laughs> which is uh yeah a lot of websites that i've helped build you know yeah absolutely and most most websites have google Analytics. exactly on. yeah and the thing too is you know people when they hear okay that's personal information you're collecting personal information people usually freak out but in reality this is something that's completely normal right Mm -hmm. Most websites, I would venture to say every modern website has at least a contact form and some form of analytics because that's how you grow your business, right? That's how you get new clients. That's how you improve on your website. That's how you grow. And it's completely normal to collect personal information. It's not something that's out of the ordinary, but the fact is that you need to have a privacy policy that makes certain disclosures to comply with the privacy laws that apply to you. Okay, so I would give us like, um, I would love to hear like worst case scenario <laughs> if you don't have a privacy, because I know these laws are changing all the time and states are doing all these different things. It's the same, yeah, it's just, it's all over the place. So I would love to kind of hear, I think, I think in an appropriate way, not fear mongering, but kind of give us a worst case scenario so we know what we're dealing with. Right. So there's two sets of, di of different consequences. And the first set would be fines, right? So fines for privacy law infringement start at $2,500 per website visitor whose privacy rights you infringed upon. So let's say you have a website that has 100 website visitors from California per month and you don't have the compliant privacy policy and you're collecting their personal information. So that fine would be calculated, calculated as 100 times 2,500, right? So you can see how quickly those fines can spiral out of control because it's per violation, right? Um, and at the higher end in Europe, the fines um, go up to 20 million dollars, 20 million euros or more in total. Um, so those are kind of the fines that, that we have here. Um, and there's multiple privacy bills that are being proposed that would allow consumers to sue businesses directly for violations. So if those laws are passed, that would mean potentially getting sued um, for, for violations as well. Um, but there's also a second set of consequences there. So like I said, consumers are looking for this more and more frequently, right? So consumers are more and more interested as to what happens to their personal information online. And if they go to a website that clearly does not 
respect their privacy, they're going to leave and go to a competitor. Um, so caring about privacy can not only prevent you from being fined or sued, um, it can actually be a competitive advantage as well, something that's good for your business. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So potentially a lot of money. Uh, I can imagine <laughs> the state of California needs money, so they would be incentivized <laughs> to go after <laughs> Right. <laughs> and do fines like that. Um, okay. So, um, yeah. What else do you have for that? That ther like mental health professional should be aware of when it comes to privacy policies. Yeah. So I think you know if we were to talk about privacy laws, one thing that I really wanted to impart is the fact that privacy laws are there to protect consumers and not businesses. So what that means is that they have a very broad application and can apply outside of the state or country in which they're passed. So one example would be the California Online Privacy and Protection Act of 2003, which applies to any commercial website that collects the personal information of California consumers. So as you know, anyone from anywhere could potentially submit a contact form on your website, um, meaning that that law applies to a lot of websites, even if even if you're not located in California, so we're located in Chicago, right? That law still applies to us because we're collecting the personal information of California consumers. So it's not about where your business is located. Uh, it's really about whose personal information you're collecting, where you're doing business, to who you offer goods or services, um, and also who you track online through tools such as Google Analytics that makes these privacy laws apply. Um, and really, so we have two privacy laws in California, uh, one in Delaware, uh, one in Nevada. Canada has a privacy law, um, the UK has privacy law, Europe has a privacy law, and so does Australia. Um, and I also wanted to note that, you know, since we kind of touched on how these privacy laws are changing, um, just in the last year, Colorado passed a new privacy law, um, Virginia passed a new privacy law, and Quebec passed a new privacy law as well. Now, all of these go into effect in 2023. Um, but it's something to keep an eye on as well is the fact that you don't just need to have a privacy policy that complies with today's privacy laws. You also need to have a strategy to keep that privacy policy up to date when new laws are passed, um, or we're actually seeing a lot of amendments to existing privacy laws as well. Right. So as you see more technology coming out that affects privacy, um, or you see more violations happening, um, current privacy laws are being amended too. And each privacy law has a list of disclosures that your privacy policy needs to make. So how is a privacy policy created? You figure out what privacy laws apply to you, um, and then you look through each law, see what those disclosures are, and then make sure that your privacy policy has all those disclosures. So if you had a template that was made a while ago, um, or you know you had a privacy policy that was created you know, whenever, and nobody figured out what privacy laws apply to you, it's probably not compliant. <laughs> okay. So that, that I'm seeing the genius behind your software, the term again, which I'd love to talk more about it because, well, here's the thing, you know, I, I'm realizing now, uh, or I have been realizing and people listening will realize is that, you know, there's, this is just the beginning of the privacy policy. I feel like we're almost at the very beginning of this because as you said, states are starting to make more laws around it and current states are amending. So this is going to be an ongoing thing. And the, and the, the other thing is, is people generally are willing to give a, give their information to schedule an appointment, right? People are generally mm -hmm. willing 
to do these things. So um, I guess I have two questions. One, you know, many of us will visit a website and some pop-up will be like, hey, is this okay? And I usually just say, yeah, whatever, all the things, click yes, so I can just continue browsing. Is that a privacy policy thing that I'm signing off on or what? what's going on there typically with most yeah. websites? So that's a fun one. Um, so it's not a privacy policy agreement usually. Um, now some websites will have their privacy policy and then you click to agree that way, but that's very, very uncommon. Uh, most of the time what that is is you're agreeing to certain cookies being on the website and those cookies tracking you throughout the website or after you leave the website, right? And this okay, comes those are from, cookie, okay. Yeah, and this yeah. comes from the e-privacy regulation, which is also a, a European Union privacy law. Um, so if, if that law applies to you and you have web, uh, cookies on your website that are not essential to the operation of the website, you need to get the consent of the user to agree to be tracked using those cookies. Um, what I find really interesting is the compliance aspect of that. So the law says that you have to give uh, a clear choice to consumers, whether to accept or to deny those cookies. So literally there has to be an accept button and a deny button. But we'll see so many of these that just say, by using this website, you agree to our use of cookies. And it's just like, okay, or accept, uh, and there's no deny. Um, and some some websites even run the non-essential cookies when you are when you didn't click on anything, which is also not compliant. Those need to be disabled by default. Um, so be very careful about what kind of cookie consent you're using. Make sure it has an accept and a deny button. Uh, make sure that's all all buttoned up there. But it's usually separate from the privacy policy, even though it is tracking technology. So it does affect privacy as well. I want to ask, like, what is it? These privacy policies, like, what what is it protecting us from in some way? You know, like, yeah, like, what is it protecting us from, essentially? Yeah, so really a privacy policy is created to comply with the privacy laws that apply to you, right? So the privacy laws, if there are privacy laws that apply to you, those laws will require you to have a privacy policy that has very, very specific disclosures. So it's literally just a list within the privacy law of what you need to disclose. Um, and that's part of compliance with the law. So by having a compliant privacy policy, that's one step of compliance with that particular law and it can help uh, prevent you from being fined. Got it. Now. So maybe this is where it gets into the term again side, but it's like, how do you, how do you do this without completely destroying a user experience on their website? And, but at the same time, um, like make sure you're covering all your bases. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm just trying to like, how do you, how do you get people to say it's okay once they land on your website? Like I consent to these, these policies. Yeah. So Usually, and it depends on what laws apply to you again. So some laws require you to obtain affirmative consent whenever you're uh, collecting personal information. So a great example would be when you have your contact form and somebody wants to submit their information on that form. At the bottom of the form, there's a little checkbox that says, I agree to the privacy policy. And the privacy policy is linked there and the individual has to click uh, on that box to accept the privacy policy. And only then are they required are they allowed to submit their information? Um, same thing too, if you're not necessarily required to have consent 
or even if you get consent through those forms, it usually just sits on the footer of your website. So the footer of your website has a privacy policy link. They click on that link and then the privacy policy displays. So the privacy policy itself should not be um, affecting the user experience too much because in reality, it's just a document that they can read that explains your privacy practices to them, right? Or they had to check a box to agree to the privacy policy. And, you know, that's, I mean, yeah, it's annoying to consumers, but it's not that onerous, I would say, to check a box and, and to review the privacy policy if they want to. Um, the cookie so it, consent- So it could be like a pop-up. Sorry to interrupt. It could, mm -hmm. it could be like a pop-up that says, you know, if you want to read our privacy policies here, do you accept or decline, right? Is something like that? Yeah, so the cookie consent is different, right? So the cookie consent is usually has you agree to the cookies themselves. Um, that one is a lot more effective, a, a lot has a much larger effect on the user experience, right? Because when you go to a website, you see this kind of banner appear, and then you have to decide whether to accept or decline those. Um, you know, how much that affects the user experience, really, that's you know, the drafters of the law should have kind of thought through that one a little bit better. Um, but that's, you know, that's just how compliance is, right? So it seems like everyone's pretty much agreed that these cookie consent banners are, are how, how you comply with the e-privacy directive. So, you know, that's that's where we're at, right? But the privacy policy itself really shouldn't be too onerous on consumers, shouldn't affect their uh, experience too much. You know, they just agreed our privacy policy, right? Whenever they're submitting information, and then it's available for them to view uh, by clicking a link at the bottom of your footer. Um, one thing that I did want to note, uh, obviously can't be providing legal advice to anyone today, uh, but um, <laughs> multiple websites, actually a lot of websites that I, I visit, I see this combine the privacy policy and the terms of service together under one link. Um, and that's actually prohibited under multiple privacy laws. Um, so I really encourage people to separate those two things. So have a separate privacy policy and a separate terms of service page and have those links separated um, and make sure that they're clearly visible to consumers on your website. So if your website background is light gray, uh, don't make your privacy policy link slightly darker gray, you know, where it's like <laughs> invisible essentially. Um, privacy laws also have uh, certain standards that you need to meet as to how a privacy policy is displayed. And one of those things is it must be conspicuous to consumers. So make sure it's very visible. Okay. Now, how do you know which privacy policies apply to you and to your particular website? So do you mean privacy laws? Yeah. Pri sorry. Yeah. Privacy laws like from different yeah. states, because you just said California. So let's take my wife's website. We get traffic because we have this one blog post from all over the world, and I imagine from every state in the union. Mm -hmm. So does that mean we need to have a some sort of policy that, that covers every single state uh, in America? <laughs> so at this time, not every single state has a privacy law. Um, so okay. that's, you're very lucky there. Um, but, uh, you know, California, Nevada, Delaware, Virginia, and Colorado now have privacy laws. Um, so there's kind of two options there, right? So option one is you could speak to a privacy attorney, um, and they'll basically ask you a series of questions because each law says this law applies to X type of business, right? So they'll ask you a series of questions and help you determine what privacy laws apply 
apply to you. Um, if you're looking for a privacy attorney, um, I would definitely recommend checking out the International Association of Privacy Professionals. If you go to IAPP.org, they have a directory of attorneys there and you can search by like area and stuff too which is very helpful. Um, now, for a lot of smaller businesses, that's really not a viable option because attorneys are very expensive. Um, so there you can use a tool. So our tool, Termageddon, actually helps you determine what privacy laws apply to you. And it's a series of questions too. It's pretty much the same questions that you would be asked either way. Um, and <laughs> nice. yeah, and uh, it helps you determine what laws apply to you and therefore what disclosures your privacy policy needs to contain. And the remainder of the questions are based around those disclosures. And then your answers are used to create a privacy policy for you that is custom for your exact business. So like no policy that we create is the same. And one huge pitfall that I see is that people will download a template that says that it's GDPR compliant. And since GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, is a strict privacy law, they assume that having this GDPR template means that they will comply with every single privacy law out there. And unfortunately, that's not the case because those disclosures are very, very specific. So for example, CalOPA, one of California's privacy laws, requires you to disclose how your website responds to do not track signals. GDPR does not require that disclosure. So that GDPR template is not Calopa compliant, right? Uh, Nevada's privacy law asks you to disclose whether you sell personal information. GDPR doesn't. So if you have a privacy policy that you bought that says GDPR compliant, number one, are you sure it's GDPR compliant? Because most of those templates aren't. Uh, and two, it won't comply with the other privacy laws that apply to you. So you're missing half of the picture there, right? So make sure it's each law that applies to you, not just one law that you think is, is more onerous than the rest. Okay. Um, I want to, I want to talk about term again, but first I, I had a long conversation with your husband about HIPAA compliance, cause that's mm -hmm. the world we're in and the forms that I've been working with, uh, a software, um, for my clients in order to, it's, it's a, it's a form that collects the information if they want to schedule an appointment and it's not stored on our websites or anything like that, but it's stored on the servers of the software that we use. Um, but w w I'm curious, which is HIPAA compliant, but I'm, I'm curious, um, what does HIPAA compliance look like on your website as far as privacy laws or, I guess I don't know how to ask that question. Yeah. Can you put something together? So, for <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I definitely want to preface this with I'm not a HIPAA expert. And we don't offer HIPAA compliance because I'm not a HIPAA expert. Um, but the way that I understand it, and again, not legal advice, but if your website is not collecting any protected health information, then HIPAA will not apply to that website. Now, if you're collecting protected health information in the office, so somebody comes in and you have them fill out like a medications list or a uh, diseases list or something like that, or, or a conditions list would probably be more appropriate here. Um, you know, then those, that information needs to be protected by HIPAA and you need to have all of those things in place. So the way that I understand it, the, the, best way to comply with HIPAA on the website is to have a website that doesn't need to comply with HIPAA, right? Uh, so you definitely don't want to be responsible for collecting PHI through the web, through your website itself. Now, third-party integration is definitely different. If you're doing a third-party integration, you want to make sure that they are HIPAA compliant, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, but on your own website, my suggestion would be to avoid collecting PHI in the first place because you don't want to get into that. So let's say your website is um, is on WordPress, right? And somebody coll- um, submits a contact form through WordPress. That information is actually shared with WordPress and WordPress is not HIPAA compliant, all right? Nowhere does WordPress claim to be HIPAA compliant. So if mm-hmm. you have a contact form that's collecting PHI and that's being shared with WordPress, you're automatically non-compliant. So unless you're willing to invest, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into building out your own system for your website, which is just prohibitive, um, you know, I would definitely avoid collecting PHI through your website if you can. Yeah. And a lot of it is like, well, the third part, that's where the third party, you know, other third mm-hmm. parties who spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in developing right. that, that you can use is what I'm leveraging with my clients. But yeah, as long as you're not storing it on your servers or it usually, yeah, there's a technical with like iframes and things like that. So it's not like passing through certain servers, but it's going directly mm-hmm. to that third party extension. Um, that's the best way. Exactly. I found that. So, okay, that's really helpful. So let's talk about Termagant because this is a really fascinating uh, product that you've created, a software product that integrates with WordPress and I imagine other sites as well, Mm -hmm. and how it could, for not that much money, really cover you (laughs) and make it really easy where you just like set it and forget it because you update all the stuff, right? Yeah. Exactly. So we're a website policies generator. So we create privacy policies, terms of service, disclaimers for clients. Um, and it's a software as a service. So essentially you create an account, purchase a license, and then you're asked a series of questions. So you're asked about your business and then you're asked about your privacy practices and, and all of those things. And then your answers are used to create customized policies for you. And we also create an embed code. So the embed code is what Brent would put on your website, on your policy pages. That's what displays the policies. But what's really cool is we keep track of privacy laws and bills for you. So let's say an existing privacy law that applies to you is amended or new privacy laws passed that applies to you, we will actually update your privacy policy accordingly um, and we'll send you a notice letting you know, hey, here's a new privacy law, here's what it means. We offer compliance guides as well that you can read to learn more. And here's all the changes that we made to your policy. So it's a really nice solution, um, especially if you're a smaller business and you can't afford an attorney um, and you're looking to have a comprehensive policy on your website, that's what we do. Awesome. And where can like people find more out for find more about the term term again? It's a great name. Term again. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, where can people find out more about it? Yeah. So you can find us at termageddon.com. So T-E-R-M-A-G-E-D-D-O-N.com. And then we're also um, under that name on, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of that. So you can definitely find us there too. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because I know uh, after this meeting, that's on a checklist of mine is to reconnect <laughs> with you guys. Because I know you have you work with agency folks like myself. Yeah. Uh, because I know that um, my clients are going to definitely want this um, because they're always very. You know, it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing yeah. that they they want to be compliant and and protect people and protect themselves, and so every everybody wins in the end. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and having this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. 
All right, folks, thanks for listening. If you found this conversation useful, subscribe to the podcast and please join me again the next time for the Brand Your Practice podcast.